From MIT Technology Review, I'm Laurel Ruma, and this is Business Lab, the show that helps business leaders make sense of new technologies coming out of the lab and into the marketplace. Our topic is green software. From apps to devices to the cloud, computing runs the world around us. However, there is a better way to do it with a focus on sustainability. Two words for you, sustainable code. My guest is Asim Hussain, who is the director of the Office of Green Software and Ecosystems at Intel, as well as the chairperson of the Green Software Foundation. This podcast is produced in partnership with Intel. Welcome, Asim. Hi, Laurel. Thank you very much for having me. Well, glad you're here. So for a bit of background, you've been working in software development and sustainability advocacy from startups to global enterprises for the last two decades. What drew you into sustainability as a focus and what are you working on now? I've personally been involved and interested in the, you know, the sustainability space for, for quite a while on a very personal level. And then, you know, around the birth of my of my first son about five years ago now, I started asking myself, you know, this one question, which was, you know, how come I was willing to do all these things I was doing for sustainability to recycle, using cloth-based nappies, all sorts of these different things. And yet I could not remember in my entire career, my entire career, I could not remember one single moment where in any technical discussion, in any architectural meeting, in any discussion about how we're going to build this piece of software, I mean, people oftentimes, are, you know, raise points around, is this, you know, secure enough? Is this fast enough? Does this cost too much? But at no point I'd ever heard anybody ask the question, is this emitting too much carbon? Is this, is this piece of software, is this solution that we're talking about right now, how does that solution what kind of environmental impacts does that have? I've never, ever, ever heard anybody raise that question. So, you know, I really started to ask that question myself. I found other people who are like me, you know, five years ago, there weren't many of us, but we're all asking kind of the same questions. I joined and then I started to become a co-organizer of a community called climateaction.tech. And then, you know, the community just grew, like a lot of people were starting to ask themselves these questions and some answers were coming along. Um, at the time, I used to work at Microsoft and I pitched and formed something called the, the uh, Green Cloud Advocacy Team, where we talked about how do you actually build applications in a greener way on the cloud. Um, we formed something called the Green Software Foundation, which is a consortium of now 60 member organizations, which I am a chairperson of. And over a year ago, I joined Intel because Intel has been heavily investing in you know, sustainable software space. If you think about what Intel does, pretty much everything that Intel produces, developers use it and developers write software and write code on Intel's products. So it makes sense for Intel to have a strong green software strategy. And, and that's kind of why I was brought in. And, and I've really been working uh, since then, I've been working on you know, Intel's green software strategy um, internally. So a little bit more about that. How, how can organizations make their software greener? And then maybe we should take a step back and define what green software actually is. Well, I think we have to define what green software actually is first. The way the conversations landed in recent years, um, and the Green Software Foundation has been a large part of this, is we've coalesced around this idea of carbon efficiency, 
which is if you're building a piece of software, everything we do emits carbon. Everything we do emits carbon. Every this this tool we're using right now to record uh, this session is emitting carbon right now. What we need to do as software uh, developers and software engineers is we need to make sure that it is it is emitting the least amount of carbon for the same amount of value and use and user functionality that we're getting out of it. That's what we call carbon efficiency. And what we say is there's three pillars underneath. There's only really three ways to make your software green. The first is to make it more energy efficient, to use less energy. That's because most electricity is still created through the burning of fossil fuels. So just using less electricity is going to emit fewer carbon emissions into the atmosphere. So the first is energy efficiency. The second is hardware efficiency because you know all software runs on hardware, and um, you know depends on the if you're talking about a mobile phone, typically people are forced to move on from mobile phones because the software just doesn't run on their older models. And in the cloud, it tends to be uh, more around a conversation around utilization by making more use of the servers that you already have in the cloud, making just more efficient use of the hardware. And the third one is a very interesting space, a very new space. It's called carbon aware, carbon awareness or carbon aware computing. And that is, you are going to be using electricity anyway. Can you make your software, can you architect your software in such a way so it does more when the electricity is clean and does less when the electricity is dirty? So can you architect an application so, for instance, um, um, uh, it does more when there's more renewable energy on the grid right now and it does less when more coal or gas gas is getting burnt there's some very interesting projects in this space that have been happening very high profile projects and ca carbon aware computing is an area where there's a lot of interest because it's a stepping stone it, it, it might not get you you know your 50 60 70 percent carbon reductions but it will get you your one two three and four percent carbon reductions and it will get you that with very minimal investments so there's a lot of interest in carbon aware computing but those basically the three areas uh, what we call the three pillars of green software, energy efficiency, energy efficiency, hardware efficiency, and carbon awareness. So, you know, another reason we're talking about all of this is that technology can contribute to the environmental issues that it, you know, is trying to actually help. So, for example, a lot of energy is needed to train AI models. Also, blockchain was key in the development of energy-efficient microgrids, but it's also behind the development of cryptocurrency platforms, some of which consume more energy than that of a small country. So how can advanced technologies like AI, machine learning, and blockchain contribute positively to the development of green software? That's an interesting question because we, we, we sometimes the, the focus oftentimes is, you know, how do we actually make that technology greener but i i don't believe that is necessarily all the whole story the story is the broader story how can we use that technology to make software greener and i think there's many ways you can probably tackle that question um one thing that's, that's been interesting for me since my journey kind of into into as a software developer joining intel is me realizing how little i knew about hardware there is so much i, I describe it as the gap between software and silicon. Um, the gap is kind of quite large right now. If you're building software these days, you have very little understanding of the silicon that's running that software. 
And through a greater understanding of exactly how your software is exactly getting executed by the silicon to you know uh, implement the functionality, that's where we're seeing there's a lot of great opportunities to reduce emissions and to make that energy that that software more energy efficient, more hardware efficient. And I think that's where places you know like AI can really help out with. Um, you know, developer productivity has been the buzzword in this space for a very long time. Developers are extremely expensive. Um, you know, getting to market fast and beating your competition is the name of the game these days. So it's always been about you know, how do we how do we implement the functionality we need as fast as possible, make sure it's secure, um, get it out the door. But oftentimes the only way you can do that is to is to increase the gap between the software and silicon and just make it a little bit more inefficient i think ai can really help there you can build ai solutions that can um uh, there's co-pilot solutions which can help as you're developing code could actually uh suggest to you and if you were to write your code in a slightly different way it could be more efficient um so that's one way ai can help out another way that i'm seeing ai uh utilized in this space as well is you know when you deploy silicon and kind of the, the, the products that we produce can actually they, they come out of the box configured in a certain way but they can actually be tuned tuned to actually execute that particular piece of software much more efficiently so if you have a data center running just one type of software you can actually tune the hardware so that software is run more efficiently on that hardware and we're seeing like ai solutions come on the market these days which can then automatically just figure out what type of application are you? How do you run? How do you work? We have a solution called Granulate, which does part of this as well. And it can then figure out how do you tune the underlying hardware in such a way so it executes that software more efficiently. So I think that's kind of a couple of ways, um, you know, that this technology could actually be used to make software itself greener. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and to bridge that gap between software and and silicon, you must be able to to measure right the progress and and meet targets. So, what parameters do you use to measure the energy efficiency of software? And you know, could you talk us through the tenets of actually measuring? So, measuring is an extremely challenging problem. When when we first launched the Green Software Foundation three years ago, I remember asking all the members, you know, what what is your biggest pain point? And it all came back, almost all came back with, with measuring. Measuring is very, very challenging. It's so nuanced. There's so many different levels to it. Like for instance, at Intel, we have technology in our chips to actually measure the energy um, of the whole chip. Um, those counters on the chip, which measure it. Unfortunately, that only gives you the, the energy of the entire chip itself. So it does give you a measurement. But then if you're a developer, you... you there's maybe 10 processes running on that chip and only one of them is yours. You need to know how much energy is your process consuming because that's what you can optimize for. That's what you can, that's what you can see. And currently the best way to measure at that level is using models. Models which you know are either generated again through AI or through other processes where you can effectively just run lots large amounts of data and generate you know, statistical models. And oftentimes a model that's used is, is one that uses CPU utilization. So how busy a CPU is and translate that into energy. So you can see like my process is consuming 10% of the CPU. There are models out there that can convert that into energy. 
But again, all models are wrong. Some models are useful. So there's always so much nuance to this whole space as well, because how have you tweaked your computer? What else is running on your computer? It can also affect how those, how those numbers are measured. So unfortunately, this is a very, very challenging area. This is really the, the, the really big area that's trying to, a lot of people are trying to resolve right now. And we, we're not at the perfect solution, but we are way, way better than we were three, four or five years ago. And it's actually a very exciting time for measurement in this space. Well, and I guess part of it is that uh, you know green software seems to be developed with greater scrutiny and higher quality controls to ensure that the product actually meets these standards to re reduce emissions and measurement is part of that, right? So what are some of the rewards beyond emissions reduction or meeting green goals of developing software? You kind of touched on that earlier with the carbon efficiency um, as well as hardware efficiency. Yeah, so this is something I used to, I used to think about a lot because the term green has a lot associated with it. I mean, oftentimes when people historically have used the word green, you know, you can have the main product or the green version of product. There's an idea in your mind that the green version is somehow less than, it's somehow not as good. But actually in the software space, it's so interesting because it's the exact opposite. Being green in the software space means being more efficient, which translates almost always to being faster, when you factor in the hardware efficiency component, you're, you're oftentimes it translates to building software that is more resilient, more fault tolerant. Oftentimes it also translates then to being cheaper. So actually green has a lot of positive associations with it already. And so in that vein, how can external standards help provide guidance for building software and solutions? I mean, obviously there's a need to create something like the Green Software Foundation. And with the you know focus that most enterprises have now on environmental, social, and governance goals, uh, or ESG. Companies are now looking more and more to build those ideas into their everyday workflow. So how do, do regulations help and not necessarily hinder this kind of progress? So standards are very, very important in this space. Standards, I mean, one of the things, again, when we looked at the ecosystem about three, four years ago, the biggest problem the enterprises had, I mean, a lot of them were very interested in green software, but the biggest problem they had was, what do they trust? You know, what, what can I trust? Whose advice should I take? And that's where standards come in. That's why standards are most important. Standards are, at least the way we develop standards inside the Green Software Foundation, they're done via consensus. There's like 60 member organizations. So when you see a standard that's been created, by that many people and that many people have been involved with it, it really builds up that trust. So now you know that, that you can, now you know what to do. You know, those standards give you that compass direction to tell you which direction to go in and that you can trust. There's several standards that we've been focusing on in the Green Software Foundation. One's called the SCI, which is a Software Carbon Intensity Specification. Again, to be approved as an ISO standard, you have to be uh, reach consensus through 196 countries. So then you get even more trust into a standard um, that you so you can use it. Yeah, so standards really help to build up that trust which organizations can use to help guide them um, in the directions to take. There's a couple of other standards that are really coming up uh, in the foundation that I think are quite interesting. One is called Real-Time Cloud. One of the challenges right now is when we, and again, it's all always comes back to measurement. It always, always comes back to measurement. Right now, measurement is very discreet. It happens oftentimes just a few times a year. Oftentimes when you get measurement data, it is very delayed. So one of the specs that's been worked on right now is called real-time cloud. 
And it's, and it's trying to ask the question, is it possible? Is it possible to get data that is real time? And oftentimes when you want to react and, and change behaviors, you need real time data. If you want you want data so that when somebody um, does something, they know instantly the, the, the impact of that action so they can make adjustments in, instantly. If they're having to wait three months, that behavior change might not happen. And so the real question is, but the challenge is, is how do you, real time is oftentimes at loggerheads with um, regulations because you have to, you oftentimes you have to get your data uh, uh, audited. And auditing data, auditing data that's real time is very, very challenging. So one of the questions we're trying to ask is, is it possible to have data which is real time, which then over the course of a year, you can imagine it just aggregates up over the course of a year. And can that aggregation then provide enough trust so an auditor can then say, actually, we, we now trust this information and we're, we will allow that to be used in you know, regulatory reporting. And that's something that we're very excited about because, because we, you really you really need real-time data to drive behavior change. And, and if there's anything we really need to do is to drive that behavior change. We need to drive behavior change so people actually invest their time on making software more energy efficient, more hardware efficient, or more carbon aware. So that's, yeah, that's some of the ways where, where standards are, are really helping in this space. Yeah, and I think it's really helpful to talk about standards and how they are so ingrained with software development in general because there are so many misconceptions about sustainability. So what are some of the other misconceptions that people kind of get stuck on, maybe that even calling it green, right? Are there philosophies or strategies that you can caution against or you try to advocate for? So there's a couple of things I, I, I talk about. Um, so one of the things I talk about is it just, it does take everybody. I mean, I remember very early, early on in, in, when I was talking in in this space, you know, oftentimes a conversation went, oh, don't bother talking to that person or don't, don't, don't talk to this sector of developers. Don't talk to this sec, don't talk to that type of developers. Only talk to these, these people, these people who have the most influence for how, um, to make the kind of changes to make software greener. But it really takes a cultural change. And this is what's very important. It takes a cultural change inside an organization. It takes everybody. You can't really talk to one slice of the, the developer ecosystem. You need to talk to everybody. You need to change every single it, every single uh, um, uh, developer or, or engineer inside an organization really needs to take this on board. So that's one of the things I say is that you have to speak to every single person. You cannot just speak to one set of people and exclude another set of people. And another challenge that I often see is that people, when they talk about this space, one of the misconceptions they talk about is they rank um, where effort should be spent at in terms of the the carbon slice of the pie that that um, that that is responsible for. And I'll talk in, in sustainability. I'll talk about this in in general. So. But really how you should be focusing is you should be focusing not on the slice of the pie, but on the ability to decarbonize that slice of the pie. And that's why green software is so interesting. And that's why it's so it's so it's such a great 
place to spend effort and time. It might not be. I mean, it, it is depending on on which um, uh, uh, academic paper you look at. It can be between kind of two to four percent of global emissions. So some people might say, well, that's not really worth spending the time in. But my argument is actually the ability for us to decarbonize that two to four percent is far easier than our ability to, de to decarbonize other sectors like airlines or you know concrete or these other sectors. We know what we need to do oftentimes in the software software space. We know the choices. There doesn't need to be new technology made. There just needs to be decisions made to prioritize this work. And that's something I think is is very very important. You to, we should rank everything in terms of our, our our ability to decarbonize, the ease of decarbonization, and then work on the topmost item first down, rather than just looking at thin things in just terms of of tons of carbon, which I think leads to wrong decision making. Hmm. Well, I think you're laying out a really good argument because green initiatives, they can be daunting, especially for large enterprises looking to meet those decarbonization thresholds within the next decade. And for those companies that are making the investment into this, how should they begin? Where are the fundamental things just to be aware of when you're starting this journey? So the first step is, I would say, training like what we're describing here in terms especially in terms of the green software space it's a very new movement it's a very new field of computing so a lot of the terms that i talk about are just not well understood and a lot of the reasons for those terms are not well understood as well so number one thing i always say is you need to focus on on training um there is you know there's loads of training out there the green software foundation has got some training um learn.greensoftware.foundation you can get it's just two hours it's free we send that over to anybody who's who's starting in this space just to understand the language, the terminology, just to get everybody on the same page. That is usually a very good start. Now, in terms of how do you motivate, you know, inside, I, I think about this a lot. How do you motivate, how does, if you're the lead of an organization and you want to make a change, how do you actually make that change? I'm a big, big believer in um, the ability in trusting your team, trusting your people, you believe if you give engineers a problem, they will find a solution to that problem. But what they oftentimes need is, is a, a permission, you know, a thumbs up from leadership that this is a priority. So that's why it's very important for organizations to be very public about their commitments, you know, make, make public commitments, same way Intel's made public commitments, um, be very vocal as a leader inside your organization and be very clear that this is a priority for you, that you will listen to people and to teams who bring you solutions in this space. And you will find, you will find that people within your organization are, are already thinking about this space, already have ideas, already have probably have decks ready to present to you. Just create an environment where they feel capable of presenting it to you. Your, your solutions are all, I guarantee you, your solutions are already within your organization and already within the minds of your employees. Well, that is all very uh, inspiring and, and interesting and so exciting. So when you think about the next three to five years in green software development and adoption, what are you looking forward to the most? What excites you? I think what I'm, I'm very excited right now, to be honest with you. <laughs> I, I look back. I look back at um, uh, 
uh, like five years ago when we first like very, very early days first looked at this. And I still remember, you know, if there was one article, one mentioning green software, we would all lose our heads. You know, we'd get so excited about it. We'd share it. We'd, we'd pour over it. Now, um, I'm inundated with information. This, this movement has grown significantly. There are so many organizations that are deeply interested in this space. There's so much research, so much academic research. I have so many articles coming my way every single week. I do not have time to read them. So that gives me just a lot of um, hope for the future that really excites me. And, I'm, I'm, and, and I might just be because I'm at this kind of cutting edge of this space. So I see a lot of this stuff before anybody else. But I see a huge amount of interest and I see also a huge amount of activity as well. Um, I see I see a lot of people working on solutions, um, not just talking about problems, but working on solutions to those problems. And that honestly just excites me. Um, I don't know where we're going to end up in five years time, but if this is our growth so far, I think we're going to end up in a very good place. Oh, that's excellent. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Business Lab. Thank you very much for having me. That was Asim Hussein, the director of the Office of Green Software and Ecosystems at Intel, who I spoke with from Cambridge, Massachusetts, the home of MIT and MIT Technology Review. That's it for this episode of Business Lab. I'm your host, Laurel Ruma. I'm the director of Insights, the custom publishing division of MIT Technology Review. We were founded in 1899 at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology and you can also find us in print, on the web, and at events each year around the world. For more information about us and the show, please check out our website at technologyreview.com. This show is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll take a moment to rate and review us. Business Lab is a production of MIT Technology Review. This episode was produced by Jiro Studios. Thanks for listening.